Travel Universe Podcast, a monthly YALA podcast hosted by Dawn Abron and Elise Martinez, YA librarians from the Chicagoland area. Each episode features reviews and rants on new and upcoming YA books. We're here to help you navigate your TBR pile. What's good, what's bad, and everything in between. I'm Dawn, the criticizer of books. And I'm Elise, the rejecter of romance. So turn up the volume. Here we go. with your host Dawn aka the criticizer of books my co-host Elise aka the rejecter of romance is on hiatus hopefully she will be back soon but as of now it is going to be me and you until the end of 2019 I still have several podcasts that I need to do uh, during the last three weeks of 2019 I need to do a November wrap-up I will not be doing a December wrap-up because there are no new books in December. I still have to do my best of 2019, which I'm excited for. I will be continuing the Ninth House read-along. And I might be doing the best reads of the decade, which might be tough because I read a lot of books in the past 10 years. It might be tough for me to narrow it down to 10. I might have to expand it to 20. I don't know. We'll see. But as of now, it is the worst books of 2019, which I know a lot of people like to hear people bash books. I don't particularly enjoy bashing books. I know my AKA is criticizing for books. That was bestowed upon me by other people who seem to think I don't like books. Um, and I, you know, I, I like books less than I dislike them, if that makes any sense. Uh, so it wasn't, it was not difficult compiling this list. Let's just say that. So before I go into my list, I'm going to talk about what I look for when I read books. I am a teen librarian and I was on a committee where I was tasked with other people to pick, to pick the best 10 YA books of the year. This was several years ago. And by several, I mean like two or three. And after being on that committee, it kind of changed the way I criticize, I criticize, but critique books because you have to read books through a critical eye and it has changed the way I critique books. And so what I look for are character development, world building, themes, and writing style. So by character development, I'm looking for a new voice in the main character. Basically, that means that I want to read a new person that I've never read before. I get tired of reading the same girl or boy who is the chosen one or the rebel or the coy one, whatever. You know, I, I want to read about a new person. Uh, the villains in these books have to be well-rounded. They have to be sympathetic. I enjoy a sympathetic villain. I think one of the best YA villains I've read was the Commandant in the Ember and Ashes, the first book. She kind of falls off a little bit in subsequent books, but the first book, The Commandant, is great. And also Cersei Lannister, if you are familiar with Game of Thrones. Cersei Lannister is a great villain. So I'm looking for villains who have a backstory and they can tell you why they behave a certain way. I don't like just a villain who is just an asshole just to be an asshole. There needs to be a reason. The supporting characters need to contribute to the plot or they need to add to the character development or the growth of the main character. I hate it when an author will just throw in some rando kid just to kill them off. 
just to elicit some emotion from the reader or just have these random characters that drop in for no reason. I believe all characters should have a reason in any book. So moving on to world building, I do read a lot of fantasy. So world building is essential in a fantasy book. I like to read about the mythology of the world. The rules have to be clear. The magic system can't be confusing. I, I enjoy a good world. So that's important. Fourth or third are themes. I prefer a book to have several themes, not just one major theme. Is this book about feminism? Is it about redemption, good versus evil, unrequited love, mother-daughter relationships? What, you know, I like to know how, I like to read a book that has several themes going on um, to make you think and learn and grow as a person. And lastly, writing style, very important. I am that person who enjoys a beautiful prose with a metaphorical, symbolic, thematic, slow, character-driven story. I am that person. I prefer character-driven rather than action on the page. I could actually give a shit about action on the page. I prefer a very slow-moving story with lots of character development. What I hate about writing style is when the author does a lot of telling versus showing. And I will explain that more because there are several books on this list that do that. And pacing. Also, I don't like a book that moves too fast or a book that moves too slow. And once again, there are several books on this list where the pacing is crap. Um, I also have deal breakers. And a deal breaker is basically if a book does this, then it immediately gets a star drop. Those are Insta Love. I, I I can't I can't do Insta Love. If you can't write a romance, don't don't write it. Eavesdropping to advance the plot. I don't like it when an author when a when characters listen overhear conversations and then they learn information to advance the plot. That's lazy writing. And lastly, I don't like the sudden epiphanies. And by that I mean the character has no background knowledge, but all of a sudden they're finding the sword in the stone. Like, that's not how that works. You need to either have other people with you to help you with knowledge, or you need to have an extensive background in something. You can't just magically know where everything is or solve the mystery. Or I don't like that. So those are the things that I look for when I read a book. If those things don't happen, then they, they have made this list this year. And some of these books have probably made your favorites of the year. Sorry Not Sorry. I'm sure that one of your worst made my favorite. I'm, I will guarantee because I like slow books and a lot of people don't. So without further ado, off we go to the first book. Um, all of these books I rated a three or lower. The last three books got a zero because... I mean, they were just bad, and you can't give a zero on Goodreads, so, you know, that's how that goes. Um, my first book is, number 10, is The Sorcery of Thorns by Margaret Rogerson. I know a lot of people enjoyed this book. I wanted to enjoy this book. I actually liked the first 50 pages or so. Um, it was different. The girl's voice, Elizabeth is her, her name, her voice wasn't exactly nuanced. She was not a new voice. However, it was dark, it was mysterious, 
Um, she's fighting grimoires. I've never read anything like that before. I really liked Nathaniel. He kind of reminded me of Nikolai from King of Scars. Once again, not a new voice. However, I still enjoy the brooding, charismatic guy in a YA novel. But that was it. Like, once they got on the road, I kind of started to lose interest. Like I said, Elizabeth was just okay. I've read her voice before. She's not a new character. And she was also a Mary Sue. And this, I'm going to say this again uh, throughout the book, throughout this list here. And a Mary Sue just means that everybody loves this character, but she has no outstanding personality traits. She just, to the reader, she just seems like a regular ass girl. And this was Elizabeth. With the, with the exception of her being really tall, there's nothing really special about her. I was confused by the magic system. I know a lot of people liked it. They liked Nathaniel's butler or manservant. I can't remember his name. They really liked him. I, on the other hand, was confused. Rogerson kept trying to explain it, but I stayed confused throughout the whole time. There were pacing problems, like it was really quick at some points and it was really slow. And Elizabeth managed to do some pretty remarkable feats for someone who was an orphan in the library. Like she was just, just killing giants with this big ass heavy sword and she's run all over town and she's escaping people and then she gets put into the insane asylum which I freaking hate when authors try to put an insane asylum an insane asylum in their book like I understand why they're doing that because back in the day insane asylums used to put women in them for dumb reasons but I think that that topic merits its own book and not just some random entry in some other novel I don't like when authors do that um and then she meets some other random woman who gets her out of the the insane asylum. And then and then the clincher for me was when Elizabeth gets a mirror and she's able to talk to her friend who's back at the old, the old library that she was an orphan and is able to give her answers. I I call Deus Ex Machina on that. Like, where did the fucking mirror come from? After that, I was over it. I was just over it. So, yeah, I didn't enjoy that book. I enjoyed, like, the first 50 pages, and then that was it. All right. Number nine is A Curse So Dark and Lonely by Bridget Kimmer. Kimmer? Something like that. I know a lot of people loved this book. I, on the other hand, do not understand why I gave this book a two. I'm not sure if I said, but Sorcery of Thorns, I gave a three. This book... Once again, the first 50 pages were great. So great, in fact, that I was like, oh my god, this book is on its way to a five stars. And this is why it's higher up on my list, because the first 50 pages were amazing. Like, it was something that I had not read before. It jumped off right away. We have a girl with cerebral palsy. I'm like, yes, let's do this. And then it all goes downhill from there. Um... Harper has cerebral palsy. Great. But the author doesn't really do anything with it. And I'm pretty sure maybe that's on purpose. She Maybe she's just trying to say, hey, you know, yeah, she has cerebral palsy, whatever. She can do other stuff. I get that. That's great. However, then why give her cerebral palsy? Why not just give her 
a, a bad leg. If you're, I feel like if you're going to use that disability, and if I'm saying, like, if I'm using disability wrong, let me know. But if you're going to give your character a disability like that, then do something with it. How does that affect her life? How is it affecting her now? How does it make her feel? Like, use it as a teachable moment. Don't just give her some random disability just to try to make your character interesting. Because it didn't work. Because in my opinion, she wasn't interesting. It didn't affect the story at all. Um, so this book did, which was one of the things I hate, which is tell instead of show. So Harper kept telling us, the reader, that Ren was so cruel and arrogant and privileged and she didn't like it but I never saw Ren ever being cruel nor arrogant nor privileged maybe privileged because it's the beast and he is kind of entitled but he was never cruel to her and the whole point of her telling him I'm not going to fall in love with you is because he's cruel and arrogant and she just kept saying over and over and over again Meanwhile, he's trying to break this curse and he needs, you know, to fall in love. I get the desperation and here she is. But he's cruel and arrogant, which I never saw. So that got old real quick. Um, Lilith, the villain. Oh, man. She was, she had a backstory. They, they had a backstory, but it's, I can't remember if he hit it and quit it or if he turned her down. Either way, that's, I feel like after a hundred years, you kind of get over that. Like at some point in your life, you need to move on. Meanwhile, she's literally ripping him to shreds because he hit it and quit it or he turned her down. Whichever one it was, I do not know. And that was the, the extent of her villainous ways because she was angry. That's not good enough. The book was way too long, um, about 100 pages too long, so it dragged. And then Harper kept going on and on and on about trying to get home. I want to get home. I need to get home. Understandable. Her mother is dying. Her brother is in trouble. He owes a lot of money. She asked Ren to ask Lilith, the worst person in the world, to ask to give her to get her home. She finally freaking gets home. And what does she do? She's there for a day and was like, deuces, got to get back to Neverland or wherever the hell they live. I'm like, really? You went through all of this. I had to suffer through your bitching and complaining to go home and you're there for a day to help you to, to say goodbye to your mom and to help your brother who's gay, who didn't need to be. I mean, him being gay didn't add anything to the plot. Once again, checklist, just checking, checking boxes. Checking boxes. Oh, a girl with cerebral palsy. Check. A gay brother. Check. Okay. So that was really annoying. And then the very end, straight out of Game of Thrones. So, sorry about the bang. So, yeah, this book was all over the place. It was just full of eye rolls and oh my goshes. And then what the fuck is this shit? That is basically what I was saying as I was reading this book. If you love this book, please tell me what's so great about it. What am I missing? What am I missing from this book? Because I don't know. I need someone to tell me. Moving on to number eight, The Tenth Girl by Sarah Faring. Now, 
I gave this a two and a half, so technically this should be number nine, but it really doesn't matter. These top books, they're all a hot mess. So anyway, The Tenth Girl, once again, had great promise. We have a book set in Venezuela. Awesome. It is set up on a mountain where it's cold. Freaking fantastic. Then we have a mystery going on. I'm for it. Let's do it. It started off again. Okay. We have our main character. I don't know her name. Let's call her Mary or Maria. Let's call her Maria. She is on the run because her mother was taken in from the gut from the government. She was killed by the government. Excuse me. She's on the run. So she gets to hook up and gets this job at this school in Venezuela where they only take 10 girls. So she gets to the school and she's banging on the door. No one's answering. So she sits on the steps and then Dom, who is the owner of the school's son is looking at her from a high window and then he spits on her. Now, as someone who is an extreme, not extreme, but as someone who is a bit of a germaphobe, I personally think that spinning on someone is disgusting. And so Sarah Faring has set up an amazing villain. He spits on women and he's attractive, which means he thinks he can do whatever the hell he wants to. And his mommy owns the school. This is a setup for a great villain. I'm, I was all for it. And then we have a POV who is a ghost. All right, here we go. This is a great setup. And then the shoe falls. So first of all, the plot is a very simple plot, but Sarah Farring kept continuing to remind us what the plot was. I don't understand why she did that. Dom was a great villain to begin with, but then what she does is she makes Angel, the ghost, inhabit his body. So then Angel is like, really, Dom? It's not Dom. And it's confusing Maria. She's thinking that Dom is a good guy now and not some asshole who spit on her and treats her like a piece of crap, which is confusing to her. And now Angel is falling in love with uh, Maria. Now, I'm like, hey, cool. We have a lesbian, ghost, girl, human girl relationship. Oh, no. Angel is a boy. Where the hell did I miss that Angel was a boy? I'm 75% into this book just to realize that Angel is a boy. <laughs> so that sucked. And then the pacing was bad. It's the, it's the thing where the author just kept building mystery and adding questions and questions and not providing any answers. And then... Then she tells you everything in the last couple chapters. I don't like that. That's bad pacing. And then there's the twist ending where she gives some clues. She gave one major clue that I caught. However, I still didn't like the twist ending. And I think that's where people loved it or hated it. I ended up hating it. It had promise. But it just didn't deliver. So moving on to internment is number seven for me by, I should know this, sorry, I'm on my Goodreads, internment is, oh geez, anyway, okay, I'll find it, internment is basically a alternate America, an alternate universe where Muslims are put in internment camps, Samira Ahmed, that's what's by, I gave this a two, 
Now, this is a critical book, meaning this is a contemporary book. This is a type of book where committees look at for awards. Whereas the other books that I talked about, they're fantasy, and usually they don't, they don't pick fantasy for awards, which I think is garbage, but that's a totally different story. So this book is timely. Um, you know, our political climate is rough right now where this could happen. Nonetheless, this is still an alternate universe. It is not happening in the world as we live in right now. Well, we do have people from South America putting being put in basically prisons just for escaping their country. But that's beside the point. So the first problem I have with this book is that Ahmed does not explain her world. Because this is an alternate universe, this kind of makes this science fiction. So you do need to explain what has happened in America to get us to this place. Because there, there are reasons, there are things that happen. And she just info dumps it in like the first chapter. She just goes through a list of shit and it all starts with the Muslim ban. So she goes from the Muslim ban and she just lists off all this stuff that happens. That's an info dump, which is also a deal breaker. And I forgot to put on my list at the beginning of the pod. I don't like an info dump. She just makes the reader try and figure it out. She doesn't really explain what's happening. It's supposed to be kind of like a handmaid's tale type of thing where it's not quite true, but it could happen. It's one of those worlds. Um, she just assumes that the reader is familiar with Japanese internment camps. We're not. Some teens might not be. Adults probably are, but teens may not. I do think you should kind of explain that a little bit. She goes on to talk about the State of the Union because teens know what the State of the Union address is. Sure. Um, she goes on to tell us that people hate Muslims. And she tells us that people are getting their hijab ripped off their heads. And she tells us that she once had friends and neighbors and now they're turned against them. So it's a lot of telling. And therefore, if I'm not seeing the hijabs being ripped off, I'm just hearing someone tell me about it, it's a disconnect. Therefore, I'm not feeling any kind of way about your world or your plight for justice. The second problem was the characters. Layla is the main character and she's not a bad character. She's just a familiar voice. I've read this girl before several times. I don't want to read her again. There's nothing new about her. Her boyfriend was milk toast. Her parents were predictable. Um, we had this corporal or Captain Reynolds. He was too helpful too quickly. He could have been set up as an unreliable character, but no. Um, the director of the camp was a cartoon villain. He had no backstory. No, he wasn't sympathetic. I don't, he just wanted power. It wasn't written very well. That was a problem. The writing, the words on the page were, it, no, let me, okay, so let me, let me go back. The writing, she, Ahmed does this thing where, the teens don't talk like that type of thing. Um, teens talk like adults. And so there would be these random quotes thrown in in certain parts of the book where they didn't make sense and it almost felt like their writing was forced. So I'm going to give you a couple examples that I noted. Um, these are quotes from the book. Corporal Reynolds is a puzzle with lots of pieces, but half of them are missing. So I really can't see who he is. 
Okay, so this is an instance of telling the reader all about Captain or Corporal Reynolds as opposed to showing us. It would have been better for us to see this through his body language, through his own dialogue, and not Layla telling us. The second quote from the book is, We passed the afternoon in delicious solitude. I don't know what team talks like that. And the third quote I noted, and this is them on the bus on the way to the internment camp. Layla says, probably no one is thinking about an appropriately weighty yet catchy phrase to call our quagmire right now. We're all too busy. Quagmire? Forced. Forced writing. Um, yeah, it just... I don't think Ahmed is the right author to tell the story. It just wasn't written well. I didn't like her first book either. I just don't think I'm a fan of her writing style. It's a little too on the nose for me. Not a fan of this. And unfortunately, I gave it a two and it made number seven on my list. Number six, Hello Girls by Brittany Cavallaro and Emily Henry. I was really disappointed in this book. I gave I DNF this book at 55%. I didn't even rate it. I, I didn't even get through it. Because... The characters in this book. This book is also a contemporary, so this is a quote-unquote critical book. This is the type of book that selection committees look at to give awards. And this book isn't going to be winning any awards. Um, so my biggest problem was the writing style, <clears throat> excuse me, which was a shame because I love Brittany Cavallaro's writing. She wrote the Charlotte Holmes series. I, I technically only liked the first two of those books, but I would read something else by her because she writes she writes girls facing trauma quite well. So I was really excited about this book, but I think Emily Henry must have punched through the writing in this book because I didn't see Brittany Cavallaro's writing in this book at all. And one of the things that bothered me was the telling once again the telling and not the showing so we have two girls that come from really crappy home lives and they run away and Lucille is our poorer character and she has big boobs and she gets a lot of unattention unwanted attention from men but instead of us seeing her being uncomfortable Winona, the other girl, is telling us all of this. Don't tell us that. Let us see it. I don't understand why authors do that. It's frustrating because then it dumbs down your book. Like, I don't, I, teens don't need to be told every little thing. Help them out with their reading comprehension. Let them infer. The character development, especially... The villain who is Winona's dad her her dad is controlling and manipulative and abusive mentally abusive and there was this one moment in the book where Winona is in his closet I think she's stealing to get money so she could run away and you know you've seen these in movies or you read these in books where they're about to get caught and it's really tense and you're really uncomfortable because you're like oh my god they're gonna get caught and he's going to whoop her ass if she gets caught. And the entire time, I'm like, where's the tension here? I'm, I'm not feeling uncomfortable. This is just... The, this writing is just not great. And then, what really got me is 
these girls and the decisions they were making were just ridiculous. Like, Winona is not a dumbass. She's a smart girl. She is on her way to Ivy League school. And her father is controlling. You mean to tell me it didn't occur to you that your father would have your phone tracked so that he could find you when you run away? Like, what 17-year-old, especially a 17-year-old with an abusive father, hello, I would assume that you're paranoid all the time. I would be paranoid all the time. I'm like, oh my god, my phone is bugged. They know where I'm at. They put a tracking app on my phone. That is... You, as the writer, either think your teen reading this book is a complete dumb-dumb and isn't going to think that, or you couldn't find another way to be found by the father. Either way, it's bad. So these girls are desperate for money. They don't have any money. And their last resort is to lure men into hotels with their bodies and rob them. And at that point, I was done. I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. It was just, it was just a hot-ass mess, and I'm really bummed about that because I really wanted it to be a good book. All right, number five is Descendants of the Crane by Joan He. I DNF'd this one at 75%. I didn't even care to finish the book. I am all about reading an own voices fantasy, and we have uh, Asian characters in a fantasy I'm all about that. Let's go. However, this book suffered from what I like to call all bones and no meat. So basically that means is there's something there. There's a foundation. There are bones to the story. But the plot and the characters in the world are not meaty enough. It's just bone. It's just an idea. And there's nothing contributing to put any meat on that bone. So, let's start with the character development with our main character, Hasida. She was not very queen-like. She was pretty unremarkable as a character. I don't remember anything about this girl. That is how unremarkable she was. Oh, and none of the other characters were any good either. Like, literally none of them. Her brother was, was annoying. He was a whiny bitch. And then her two friends, Lillian, kind of started off pretty interesting, but then she fell off. Um, and then Akira, I'll get to him later. Well, let's get to him now. <laughs> so Akira is this hobo that Hasina finds because a prophecy has told her that she needs a lawyer to defend herself. And she finds this guy who ends up being freaking Matlock. And he just asks all the right questions, and he's just amazing. And I'm just like, okay. And then what killed me, I'm not going to spend too much time in this book because, honestly, I don't remember what, I don't remember much. But the pacing is what killed me. So this book did this thing where there was, like, five twists in the book. Like, major twists. And after five, and I counted literally five twists, I just couldn't anymore. It became a joke. I was guessing what was the most ridiculous thing that could happen next, and it probably happened. I don't know. And I mean big twists, like, oh, her father's really not dead. Now, these aren't spoilers. I don't remember what happens in the book. That may have happened. I don't know. But I'm just giving you examples of, like, plot twists. So, like, her father really isn't dead. Her mom is not really her mom. Um, 
Akira is really the crown prince and they're going to fall in love and live happily ever after. I don't know if any of that happens. I don't remember. But it's big shit like that. Like, don't put five big ass twists in the middle of your book. You save that for the end, man. That was that was awful. Don't waste your time on that book, guys. All right, we're getting down to the nitty gritty here. Number four is The Kingdom of Souls by Rena Barron. I gave this book a one. Um, this, once again, I didn't want to give this book a bad book. I am black, and I always get excited when I see black girls on the cover of a fantasy novel because up until about two years ago, black teens in books was all about oppression and uh, freaking racism. And we're finally getting some black characters in fantasies, and I am like, yes, let's do this. So... When I read this book, I was excited. However, this book got a one because I literally did not like one thing about this book. The previous books, there was some things that I found I liked, especially the first three, number 10, number nine, number eight. At least the premise was good. The first 50 pages were good. Maybe there was a good villain or a good character or something, but this book had none of that. And that is why it is so low. First of all, I think Rena Barron needed an editor. She did this thing where she has so many ideas that she's just trying to cram it all into one book. And it's just too much. So we had a demon king. And we had a mom who's awful. And we had her family who hates the main character and discriminates against her and calls her all kind of names. And then we have this guy that she's in love with who's also... Her, his father is a douche and doesn't like her. And then we have kidnappings. And then we have gods and goddesses who are talking on the page. And then we have potion class with Snape. And there's bones and there's a village with soulless beings. And a mom with a weird backstory and a creepy sister and a fucked up ending. Like it was just all over the place. I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't keep this straight anymore. And so that was problem number one. Problem number two was my problem with the main character and it, it's not her fault it's the writer's fault but I have never in my life read a character that literally gets help to do everything I don't think this girl did anything on her own anytime she needed help she either got someone either told her what to do like the goddesses whispered in her like took form took form and went to her and was like, look, girl, you need to go get that powder. You need to sprinkle that shit on this guy in order for him to go away. So she would have to get help every time. Either someone was telling her what to do or they would inhabit her body and do it for her. I don't think there was any time where our main character, Ara, or whatever her name is, I don't think she ever did anything for herself. That was frustrating, which made me not like her. And then the author does this thing that I mentioned at the top of the pod where she added a kid like randomly by page 120 where this kid was not mentioned at all through the first 120 pages. But page 121, we mentioned this kid named Coffee or Kofi and all of a sudden he's taken by the Demon King and I'm supposed to feel something for this kid that was mentioned for 10 pages? Mm-mm-mm-mm. And now I'm supposed to believe that Arya is going to risk her life to save some kid that was just introduced for 10 pages. Okay. That's not a thing, but sure. Uh, the villains were awful. The mom 
the mom had promised, but she she was just a little too over the top with her disgustingness. She was a hot mess. And then the sister was she wasn't developed enough. She was a one-dimensional villain. Just think about Minya from Strange the Dreamer. Now that was a great villain. This girl was trying to be that. Mm -mm -mm. It was a lot of info dumping. The supporting cast didn't add anything to the plot. And then that ending came. And I about threw that damn book across the room. So this is not exactly what happens, but this is an example. So you know when you're watching a TV show or you're reading a book and the main character's lover dies and they're all distraught and things happen and all the bad things happen and oh it was just a dream it was one of those tropes at the end of this book not that one but it was a huge trope and i was over it and that made me lower my book that made me lower the rating to a one all right we're at our top three Number three, I'm not really going to talk too much about because it's not worth my time. It was called A Treason of Thorns by Laura Weymouth. This book was pretty bad. I gave this a big old zero. Do not waste your time. I don't, I don't even remember what happens. I read the whole book, but I don't remember what happens. All I remember is that our main character kept talking about this house. She kept rubbing on the house and feeling the house and telling the house poems and I'm like girl why don't you just marry the house just, just bang it and get it over with just get it out of your system like it was it was just bad it was just really bad and I don't want to talk about it just don't read it it wasn't good I hate to be like that because authors like really spend their time writing these books and I hate to poo poo all over it but don't don't waste your time on that one all right so now we're getting down to my top two of the worst of the year these two books I know for a fact are people's favorites and they were not my favorite and Elise and I actually go in depth with both of these books so if you want to hear our rating in depth you can go back through our archives and find our older podcasts but number two is The Grace Year by Kim Leggett and I gave this a zero. I was very upset with this book. Um, I felt like this book was a waste of my time. I didn't like I guess I kind of liked the beginning of it like what she was trying to do Elise liked the beginning more than me um yeah so my major problem with this book is I think that this topic was just too big for this author so this book is all about the patriarchy so I'm expecting to hear what Leggett has to say and what her characters are going to do but instead I got the big screw you Dawn <laughs> The men in this book were manipulative and strategic and sadists, which is interesting and a great setup, but all I got was mean girls in the forest and a dumbass romance. That's literally all I got. The author did not do a good job of laying down the foundation of an intense discussion. Stuff was either info dumped or there was a lack of character study. And let's cut to Kirsten, the villain. Kirsten is basically the Aunt Lydia of Handmaid's Tale. This was an opportunity to go into why this girl is treating other girls like pieces of shit. Why is she mirroring the behavior of the men in this town? 
and being controlling and oppressing women. There's never a discussion on why this girl behaves that way. There is no backstory to her. She's not sympathetic. We don't understand why she's doing this other than she's a trope who just wants power. She just wants other girls to like her and not tyranny because she's jealous. That's it. Jealousy? That's your whole motive? Like, this was an opportunity to really talk about this and Liggett did not do that at all. Instead, we get tyranny, escaping the camp or getting, being excommunicated, runs off where insta-love, we get this guy that she's, I don't want to go too much into it because of spoilers, but needless to say, it became this poorly written romance. I know why Leggett did it. She did it because she wanted to show tyranny that there were some good men in the world. Great. Fine. But it wasn't executed well. And then my other major problem with this book, and like I said, Elise and I go into this depth. We go into this book in depth in one of our podcasts. So if you really want to hear our thoughts, you can hear it there. But my biggest problem is that in the beginning of the book, we have a usurper. One of the women is brought to start the revolution. But this woman, these, and there are other women that are trying to start the revolution. We are 10 years later and they've literally done nothing. These girls, their daughters are being sent away and they're coming back either mentally, physically broken. Some of them don't come back at all. They get stuck out there or they're killed or they, they drown or they're murdered by other girls, whatever. You're literally losing your daughters and you're taking 10 years to revolt. Meanwhile, tyranny has made huge progress in her quest to kill the, the patriarchy. And she did it in a year. And these women can't fucking do it in 10 years. This is stupid. This is why I wasted my time. I wasted my time to watch these women do absolutely nothing but watch their daughters die and come back broken. Yay. That was a waste of my time. I hated everything about it and it got a zero. If you loved it, I'm glad you got something out of it. As a librarian, that's my ultimate goal is to get people to connect with books and enjoy their reading experience. So you, if you got that, yay for you. I did not. Number one. If you are a regular on the pod, you already know what number one is. Elise and I did a whole read-along of this book where we did absolutely nothing but bitch and complain. And it is The Beautiful by Renee Adier. This is one of the worst books I have ever read in my life. That's how bad this book was. Once again, if you loved it, first of all, please tell me why. I would like to know. Secondly... Good on you. If you loved it, I'm happy for you. You found the book that you like. But here's why I did not like this book. First of all, I didn't like anything about it. Like zero. Zero. This is one of the worst books I've ever read. And I'm not exaggerating. This was bad. And my main issue was Celine. Celine was the Mary Sueist of the Mary Sues. Everybody freaking loved this girl because she's apparently witty and has huge tits, which Adier liked to remind us several times. And Elise and I go on and on and on about how awful that is. It's like we have this girl who has 
huge tits and a tiny waist and black raven black hair and she's beautiful and I'm thinking to myself who is this book for is this book for a 13 year old who thinks that if you don't have huge tits and a tiny waist that you're not beautiful I mean if you if you describe your character that way one time sure but after the fourth or fifth time she either doesn't think that her readers remember anything or she's trying to tell me something. Is she trying to tell me that my huge tits are beautiful and somebody else's small tits aren't? I don't think that's right. Like, that's a little out of, that's a little ridiculous. Um, and I'll get to Bastion later, but so more about Celine. She, everything she thought, everything she desired or felt or like I said thought about was Bastion everything was about this guy oh Bastion is across the room is he looking at me no oh here comes Bastion he walks in is he looking at me oh my god I'm an independent woman I don't need help how come Bastion isn't helping me oh my god like constant constant with this guy and he was not all that. With his gunmetal eyes, that was mentioned umpteen times. Okay. The writing style is just not for me. Renee Adier writes on the nose. Meaning, she tells you every little thing. It's all tell. All we got from Celine. Oh, I am a strong woman. Celine is a strong woman and she's not going to let some man tell her what to do. She's going to stand up. Celine, Celine isn't going to fall for these, these tropes that women must be cute and be swoony and just go for a man so that he can take care of the rest of her life. No, she's going to wear pants. She's going to wear pants to this party. She's not going to wear a dress. She's going to wear pants and a corset that shows off her huge tits. And oh my God. She just kept telling us how great Celine was and how witty Celine was and how how independent Celine was and how strong Celine was. I'm going to take this knife and I'm going to stab him, but he really is going to think that I'm going to fall. But when I when he thinks that I'm down, I'm going to take my knife and I'm going to stab him. She literally told us Celine's plan. Why? Why? Why tell me what she's going to do? It was, it was, the whole book was just consumed with this type of writing. It was forced. She went on and on. Adier would go on and on about Pippa's scream. Like a whole paragraph of this girl's scream and how it could be heard through the restaurant and the walls were shaking and quaking. And just on and on and on about a scream. And then let's talk about Pippa. And how she contributed nothing to the plot. The only thing Pippa did was swoon and scream and fall and spill shit all over her dress. And I personally think she made Pippa a dingleberry just to make Celine look better. I don't understand what the point of Pippa was. Only to make Celine look better. And then the uncle comes back briefly and he does absolutely nothing to the plot. And then that ending, which was unfortunate because I thought Adier did something interesting with the ending. Once again, I'm not going to say it's a spoiler, 
she tries something interesting, but because the whole 450 pages before it were crap, that last chapter was just for nothing. And I don't understand why people are loving this book. I don't get it. I don't get There was nothing good in this book at all. And I'm not even going to mention the fact that this is 1871, six years out of the Emancipation Proclamation, and black and brown people are just walking around, living it up. Like, whoop-de-doo, I'm going to creep around this alley and I'm going to kill people and stab people and shoot people and get into fights and walk down the street. I'm not, I'm not even going to go into how that's highly unlikely. Let's just let that one go. But, yeah, guys, this book was, this book was bad. It was not good. It was a prequel. It was just a setup for book two. And she would, I'm going on and on, on about it, I'm sorry, but it just bothered me. Like, Adie would throw in these random plot points, just out of nowhere. Just about some vampire from 300 years ago, just randomly, one time. Or just mention something, just one time. And then, like, the cop, his grandma and his cousin just randomly show up not mentioned at all the first 300 pages and all of a sudden they're dropped in the story and they become major characters in this whole story okay like the writing in this book was bonkers it was it was bad and I'm gonna stop now because I've bashed it to death and this podcast has gone really long so that is my worst 10 of 2019 I would love to hear what books made your list. Did you agree with me? Did you disagree with me? Let me know. Um, my next podcast will be, I don't know, because I have a lot to record. So here's my shitty outro. Thank you for joining me, and we'll catch you next time.